when I was in college, I had a vision board. I was running for Bethel University at the time. And one of the pictures that I posted on my vision board was this one here. I put it on there to inspire me. It's from the 1988 Olympics. And in this shot, you've got Ben Johnson. He, uh, he's winning the 1988 100 meters. And here he is in the picture. He's crossing the finish line first, and he is looking ripped while he's doing it. So I pinned this picture on my vision board to inspire me. That was my target. I wanted to run fast and look great while I was doing it. But how many know what happened? Maybe you have to be a little older to know what happened here. Um, but what happened not long after the photo was taken? He tested positive for steroids. And he was stripped of his medal. My vision board was off. I had the right principle. You know, begin with the end in mind. But I had the wrong target. And when that finally sunk in, I took that picture down. You know, one of the keys when it comes to life is to begin with the end in mind. You want to set the right target, and then you pursue that target. You say, what does it take for you know, us or for me to get there? Well, the longer I live, the more examples I see of people hitting the wrong targets. Think about how many years are wasted when people chase after the wrong crowd. They think, this is the group I want to be with. Chase after it. Only to find later, this is not the group I want to be with. Or think about how many people regret dating a person that seems to be the right person, but in reality, they're not. Or, you know, think of all the unhealthy habits that people develop when they put the wrong picture up on their vision board. They say, I want to look like this person in the movies or online. And it's just completely unrealistic. Or this one, think about how many people chase after career goals that actually take you away from the life that you want most. And then there's this, think about how much damage we do to kids when parents, when we set the wrong targets. Oh, this is what good parenting looks like, if it's not. Or, or here's what a healthy approach to sports looks like. You ever seen unhealthy approaches to sports? Yeah, for sure. Or activities or school or devices or debt or faith. Well, speaking of faith, I don't know if any of you saw this. Just recently, some research came out from a group at Harvard. They've been studying the same 12,000 kids for more than a decade. So they've been watching these same kids over time. Get this. Again, this is coming from a group at Harvard. One of the best things you can do for kids' social, physical, mental health, including reducing the likelihood of substance abuse, anxiety, depression, sexual promiscuity, is regular church attendance. It trumps almost any of the other factors they found. Finding a church home and gathering with them regularly, it is a good thing. Last week, uh, my daughter Emma introduced me to a brand new song, to me anyway, called Homecoming. It is one of my new favorites. It speaks to this whole idea of chasing after the wrong target versus the right target. Here's a, here's a section from that song. Lord, I confess I've been a prodigal. Look at, look at these next two lines. 
made for your house, but I walked my own roads. What a great verse. The longer I live, the more I've come to see that the life that we long for most is the life that Jesus of Nazareth cast a vision for. We are at our best as humans when we follow his example. Think about this life that he modeled and taught. Nobody, nobody in history did more to change how the world began to value humility and servant leadership. Nobody on the planet has ever done more to change how the world began to respect and honor women. Nobody on the planet has ever done more to show how to care for the poor and the marginalized and why that matters. Nobody changed history. There's a reason why he is the one by which all other lives are measured. Humanity is at our best when our target is to be more like him. Well, we are blessed to have a first century document that's been carefully handed down. Um, Well, actually, it's a collection of documents. We call it the Bible. And I'm one of billions of people who believe that the Bible is inspired. Inspired. It was really interesting. I traced that word back, um, the word inspire, this uh, preparing for this message, back to its Latin roots. The word inspire means to breathe or to blow into, to inspire. Here's another great line that speaks to that from that song, Homecoming. I've stolen your breath, and I've sang my own song. Raise your hand if you can relate to that. Right? It's his breath, and we sang our own song. If, if, If you're ready for a change, if you like to experience what it is like to sense the breath of God flowing through you, giving you new hope and new direction. And we're going to invite you to join us from now through Easter as we go to these inspired documents. In particular, we're going to look at a book called the Book of Luke. We invite you to join us as we dig into this God-breathed text. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Luke can help you build a better vision board. Can I get an amen to that? A lot better than putting Ben Johnson up on your your wall. Let's leave this up on the screen, if you can, Mike, for just a minute. One of the unique features of Luke's gospel is how he constructs it. It's really interesting. It lends itself also really, really well to the season that we're coming into, a season that we call Lent. Luke begins by introducing Jesus in his, in his mission. That's what Luke does as he opens up his book. He continues to introduce this character, this person, Jesus, until Luke 9.51, which says this, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. That's Luke 9.51. And then it's really interesting. From that point on, in Luke, that's what happens. Jesus puts his face to Jerusalem, and we watch and we follow as he goes to Jerusalem for the last time. So that's the template that we're going to use as we dig into Luke now in the weeks ahead, from now till Easter. Between now and the start of Lent, we're going to focus on chapter 4 through 9.50, And then, starting in Lent, we're going to pick up as Jesus journeys to Jerusalem. 
We're going to carry that all the way through through Easter. I'm really excited for this series. So that's a lot of ground to cover. So let's get started. If you have your Bible with you, please open me to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 14 through 15. If you don't have a Bible at home, a great resource, if you go to Bible.com, you can download a free Bible app, and that website is also going to be the home where you can find a reading plan that we're going to be reading through together when we get to Lent. So it'll be good to start getting used to using that resource. All right, here we go. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 15. We'll start there. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding community, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. All right, this section opens up with the words, and Jesus returned. And if we had been reading all the way through, we would be able to answer the question, return from where? Prior to this, that we're picking up on, Jesus had been led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the Devil. So this is where he's returning from as we pick this up. Now, look what Luke had said about that. Jesus returned from that intense demonic confrontation, it says, in the power of the Spirit. I told you this is a better vision board. Think about that for a minute. How many of you would like to be led by the Spirit in such a way where when you came out of an intense time of testing, you are empowered instead of drained, instead of feeling deflated, instead of defeated. Imagine that. To come out of a severe time of testing, you may be tired, but you're feeling empowered by the Spirit. Oh, Luke has so much to say about what it means to be led by the Spirit and filled with the Spirit. You see this in the book of Luke, and then you also see it as he continues in his second volume, the book of, as you want to know, Acts, right? Acts. All right, well, the text says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. This is where the story of Jesus' adult ministry really begins, here in a region called Galilee. This will be the area where Jesus teaches and heals and calls disciples until he sets his face towards Jerusalem in 951. All right, let's go back to our text. We're going to read right now just verse 16. And it says, Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So if you've been wondering why we got this building behind, that's our synagogue right there. We got our synagogue here. All right, so let's look at, um, at, at, let's think about this a little bit. What was Jesus' custom every seven days? We just read it was to gather with other believers on the Sabbath. So he had this pattern. It was his custom. Every seventh day, he would gather with other believers. Now, Sabbath isn't Sunday, and the synagogue wasn't the same as most churches today. But let me say this. The more that I study the scriptures, the more I look at the life of Jesus, the more I I try to understand what it means to follow him according to the scriptures, the more I'm convinced You cannot authentically follow Jesus and ignore what he says about his church. You just can't. If you put Jesus on your vision board, you're going to discover he has some very strong things 
to say about this sacred assembly of people that he didn't just refer to as his church. He calls this assembly his bride. We did a short series on this in 2021 called Why Church? If you missed it, you might want to go back and and take a look. All right, let's pick up where we left off. Pick up again verses 17 now through 19. All right, so, and the scroll that Jesus took up to read here, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, if you want to look up, it says that he opened up the book of, uh, to the book of Isaiah. If you want to look it up in your own Bibles, it's, it's, you can find it. It's Isaiah 61. Um, he's quoting Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. And if you're in Isaiah, you might want to also look at chapter 58, because there's a lot of themes from there that, that Jesus is, is tying in here. Well, Isaiah 61, this passage you just read, it opens up with language of the Spirit. You see that Spirit just keeps being this reoccurring theme. The Spirit... Um, that uh, that the rests upon a person that Isaiah is referring to. And that's, again, that spirit language should sound familiar. There's a purpose in the Spirit's anointing in this passage. And one of these purposes is to proclaim good news to the poor. That was one of the things that this anointing was about. Now, in that time and in that place, it was interesting to do a study on, on this word. That word poor, in a context like this, it meant more than just a particular economic state. Poor, in this context, was also shorthand. It was shorthand for people who were on the margins. And they could be on the margins because of sinful mistakes that they had made. So society was saying, you're, you're, you're an outcast. It was because sometimes society said, you're an outsider, you don't belong. Or you're not as important, you're not as valuable. So here, this good news, it's for that group. The people who are excluded, the people on the margins. The anointed one had good news for them, for those who are on the outside looking in. Now, the anointed one in this text that we just read would also help those who are blind to what? To see, to help the blind to see. He would bring healing when there's brokenness, but there's more to it than that. One of the fascinating things as you read through Luke, look how many times when a blind person is healed, there's something else going on around there where there's people who claim to be able to see, but they're really blind. People who claim, I know the truth, but they don't. Those those are often woven together. All right, well, in addition to bringing good news to those who've been excluded, healing where there's brokenness, helping people see things that they had once been blind to, this anointed one also offered people a fresh start in a better kingdom. The text says that the the one that Jesus read said the anointed one had been sent to proclaim liberty to those who were captives and those who were oppressed. That Greek word translated here as liberty, it's aphasis. It's a powerful word that's connected to this Old Testament concept of the year of Jubilee. When the year of Jubilee came, it would really, we should get one of these. We got to get us one of these year of Jubilees because listen to this. All, especially if you've been in college, right? All debts are erased. Again, amen from college people, right? Amen. 
Slaves were set free. Land was returned to its original owners. And let's dig a little bit deeper into that word ephesus. We don't have a direct translation of this into English. Sometimes it's translated into a word like liberty or release. But elsewhere, that same Greek word, it's, we translate it sometimes in Luke and Acts as forgiveness. Forgiveness. This is a rich word. The anointed one brings good news of release to those who are bound by sin to demonic oppression. The anointed one brings this soul level salvation and forgiveness. All right, this is in that song that we've been talking about too. Look at this. Scarlet sins had a crimson cost. He nailed my debt to that old rugged cross. I love this line. An empty slate at the empty grave. Thank God that stone was rolled away. A faces. Forgiveness, freedom. All right, well, that's quite a passage that Jesus just read, isn't it? All of that and more packed into that quote from Isaiah. So it's quite a passage. Jesus finishes it. He's, here's the response when Jesus is done reading that section. Uh, chapter 4, verse 20. Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and it says... The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, one of the resources we recommend people getting is this ESV study Bible, and it's got a great diagram. They, they've, they've uncovered these first century synagogues, like the one Jesus was in. And so they've got a picture there, and then they have a, um, like an architectural diagram. So if we were in a typical synagogue, imagine being in this room as Jesus was speaking, he's, he's possibly right there in the middle. And, and people are on all sides. They have like stadium seating. They would have a, a you know, step type seating all the way around. So when it says the eyes are fixed, it's everybody in the room is just fixed on him like in a little mini stadium. He would have been literally encircled by the other men of Nazareth. And one of my commentaries mentioned... Um, what Luke included there that we just read in verse 20, this doesn't just describe what, what happened. This is also to say, hey, reader, fix your eyes on him. Because what he's about to say right now, this is really important. All right, that, that was like a little literary device. And here's what Jesus says next, verse 21. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus just telegraphed who he was. Who he was. What his mission was. There's a place to write this recap of his mission in your notes. Jesus of Nazareth, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He brought good news to those who were excluded. He brought healing where there's brokenness. He helped people see what they hadn't. And he offered a fresh start, a better kingdom. And he was announcing the anointed one that Isaiah was talking about. He's here today. He's here today. A number of commentators jumped on the importance of that word today. And one of them told a story of, um, they were down in Florida. And they went into this bar called Scotty's Pub. And outside the pub, there was a sign promising free beer tomorrow. 
free beer tomorrow. I Googled free beer tomorrow, see if this is really a thing. And it's a thing. You can find all kinds of signs promising free beer tomorrow. Here's the thing about free beer tomorrow. If you can only get free beer tomorrow, there's no free beer, is there? This is one of a million reasons why Luke can help you build a better vision board. Because Jesus' teaching is not just some ethical instruction that is detached from reality. These were not empty words of another would-be Messiah that was promising, hey, I'm the one. If you have your Bible open, an interesting thing you could do is just go and look what happens right after from chapter 4. And just scan the headers. He does all those things. He does all those things that he just talked about doing. When we hit chapter 7, if you do that little scanning ahead thing, you're going to find an account where John the Baptist was sending his own disciples to Jesus. Elsewhere, we discover that at this point, John had been imprisoned. He's facing death. And he's facing death by preaching the anointed one was coming. And that if you were one of those people who is walking down your own road, if you're one of those people who's using God's breath to sing your own song, there's going to be consequences for that. So John is literally staking his life on this. And here he is in prison, death row. It doesn't look like he's on the winning team. So he sends his disciples. Go ask Jesus one more time. Are you really the one to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Because it doesn't look like we're winning here. Here's, here's the response that Jesus gives. Luke 7, And Jesus answered him, Go, tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. When Jesus announced that the anointed one had come today, he was doing all those things that he promised he would do. All right, let's go back to our text one more time. Uh, let's jump ahead a bit to verses 24 through 27. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to somebody whose name is really hard to pronounce, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of prophet Elisha. None of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Now you're about to see the crowd doesn't take this very well. Here's why. The fact that Jesus right here, you know, he would quote scripture to the devil, that didn't bug them. But now he's quoting scripture to them. He's taking a period that was one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. And he's saying it's what's happening now is a lot like that. And guess what? God is reaching out to these people that you wouldn't expect, including not just the marginalized, including your oppressors. God cares about your oppressors. That didn't go over well. And I'll tell you this, before we start pointing fingers too much at them, if you truly set out to follow Jesus, you're going to get hard words from Scripture. Can I get an amen to this? 
Everybody's got our stuff. We all have our stuff. Every one of us. If you go, there will be hard words, hard things said and asked of you. When you put Jesus up on your vision board, put the right Jesus on there. The right Jesus. Many of us, we want a Jesus that conforms to our expectations. And when someone brings a true scriptural Jesus, we often react, maybe not this severe, but not that far off. Well, in this case, the people in that synagogue, they were on board. They were, eyes were fixed. They're all in. This guy's great until Jesus reminded them that God loves their enemies. And the liberty that he was offering these enemies and the liberty that he was offering the Israelites, this was not going to be the one that often people want. It wasn't going to be military, political overthrow that they hoped for. All right, let's go out. I, I forgot we're going to do our one last, last time here with our text. Verses 28 through 30. Nope, this isn't the last one. We got, I'm glad we're doing a lot of scripture. Almost last. Luke chapter 4, 28 through 30. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove Jesus out of town. They brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. It was interesting. Um, a couple of the, the scholars said one of the ways you could stone someone to death was this method. This counted as stoning. If you thought someone was guilty of blasphemy and you thought they, they could then be punished by stoning, you could throw them off the cliff. That was one form of, of, of stoning. If that's what was going on here, consider the irony. Jesus is trying to tell them the scriptures and they're attacking him for that. Came across this great quote uh, during my prep for this message. Take a look at this one. Sin is in every house but my own. Sin is in every house but my own. It is so much easier to point fingers. Well, the way this section of scripture ends is really interesting. They brought Jesus to the edge of the cliff. This huge crowd is about to throw him down. But the scripture says he just passed through their midst. And we don't know what to do with that for sure. There's a couple different options. But here's a couple of thoughts along those lines. Remember this whole thing right before this, Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And one of those temptations of the devil was, hey, throw yourself down and God will protect you. Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to play your little game. Don't put God to the test. Was this similar to that where Jesus was rescued in that moment and not thrown down. That was an interesting take that one scholar had. There's others that said, this is what's going on here. This is foreshadowing of Jesus walking out of the tomb. That was another interesting take. Well, the Bible doesn't really speak to either of those things, but here's one thing we know. This is one thing that Jesus said as we fast forward. He said this right before his arrest, Luke 22, 53. But I was with you the day after day in the temple, and you did not lay hands on me. Then what does he say? The, when, he, when he's on trial, this is your hour. Jesus knew that his end was going to come in Jerusalem. This was not his hour. This was not his time on that cliff. He knew his time was coming. 
He knew what was waiting for him. He knew that hour would come when he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew what was waiting for him there. And he was very purposeful about how he invested his time when he set his face towards Jerusalem. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. If you knew when and where you'd die, how would you live? How would you live? Again, Luke gives us lots of great material for our vision boards because here in Luke, we get a chance to see what our Savior did with his time. When he knew the hour, here is how he spent his time. Here's who he spent his time with. Here's what he did. Here's what we said. We can put that target before us. Most of us, we don't know how long we have. What we do know is we've got this day called today. We have this day called today. This could be your homecoming. And good things happen when lost people come home. Can I get an amen? Good things happen. There's one last look at some lyrics from that song. Roses in bloom pushed up from the embers. Our rivers of tears flow from good times remembered. Families are singing and dancing and laughing. The Father's welcoming. This is our homecoming. Heaven joins in with a glorious sound. The great cloud of witnesses all gather around because the ones who were lost are finally found. The Father is welcoming. This is our homecoming. On Saturday, we had a homecoming celebration for our friend Joyce. Talk about a life well lived. I had an opportunity um, to be with the family. Um, Joyce had passed and I was there with the family and I had the opportunity to be there right before they took her body away. And her daughter, Emily, went to her side one last time. And she said, goodbye, Mom. Thanks for telling me about Jesus. Is there any better legacy than that? Thanks for teaching us about Jesus. That's what mattered most to Joyce, and that is what so much of so many of us remember about her. You know, there's a whole lot of things, a whole lot of things you could put on your vision board. Here's my challenge for you this morning. You take a closer look at your vision board take a closer look at it. What are you targeting your life? What are you patterning it after? Well, if you're new to our church, um, about once a month we commemorate a real event. The event that Jesus was heading towards Jerusalem for. And here's what it says about that on 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, there's so much that the Bible doesn't say about the sacrament of communion. It doesn't give a specific age. It doesn't give a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific type of bread or wine. But here's something the Bible does say. 
1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28. Let a person examine themselves and so eat of the bread and the cup. So what we're going to do here together is we're going to say some prayers. And we want to invite you to pray them with us. And then, if you have your elements with you, when we're done with that, take a piece of your bread, dip it in your, your wine and your juice. And as you do, you can say, this is the body of Christ. Remember, this is the blood of Christ given for you. And as you do that, don't worry about getting the ritual right. This is about the relationship. One of the things we used to say, i got to remember to say this more often, one of the things we used to say to Emmanuel is the only person that will keep you from the Lord's table at Emmanuel, it's you. If you can sincerely pray these prayers that we're about to pray, we welcome you home to be part of this family, this family of God. So let's pray together these prayers as we prepare ourselves for this time. Please pray with me. Wherever you are, pray with me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we've been made clean. Father, I pray for um, my friends gathered all around here, around this moment. Lord, I pray that um, for those that maybe have been involved in the past with witchcraft or these other things, Father, I pray that they don't, they don't look at these words as a spell, some sort of means by which we invoke or create or cast, but rather this is, this is us speaking to a loving Father who loves to proclaim liberty, freedom, forgiveness give us that fresh start. Lord, I pray that each and every person who can hear the sound of my voice right now can more importantly hear and sense the still small voice of your Holy Spirit calling them home. So Lord, help us to empty ourselves. Help us to to come to you. Help us to honor your name through the words of the song. And as we pray this prayer that you taught, your disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.